0: Well, good morning, Calvary, and welcome to Spiritual Gifts Part 2. So uh, we've got a lot to talk about today, so uh, let me kick us right off. Um, I'll ask a couple questions, and then we will dive right in. Uh, the key passage for this lesson with the memory verse is actually verse 7 here, 1 Corinthians 12, 4-7. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. LSB says, for that which is profitable. And I've talked about this uh, in last week a little bit, that our spiritual gifts are really the spiritual DNA that God has Put into us. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. But before we do, would you pray with me? Father God, we pray that you would continue to give us a compelling vision of Christ for the church, that you would captivate us with the beauty of Christ and the desire to grow into his image, both individually and corporately. Give us specific wisdom today to understand spiritual gifts generally and to discern specifically how you have gifted each of your people and how we should serve. Like Jesus, Father, may it be our desire to do only the things that are pleasing to you and that our food would be to do your will and to accomplish your work. Help us to derive heavenly character and strength from you and a heart to serve others with those resources, counting others as more important than ourselves. Like Jesus, may we seek to serve and not to be served knowing it is infinitely better to give than to receive help us to see all things today in the light of in the light of Christ ourselves in your image the church in its fullness the world under your rule and the universe under your reign we pray all these things in Jesus name amen amen we will do a brief review if you're in your workbooks uh, we are picking it up on page 74 Uh, We covered uh, the nature and provision of spiritual gifts last week. Um, And today we're going to talk about understanding the gifts. We're going to talk about uh, the exercise of the spiritual gifts um, and how they are to be applied in our lives. So I hope you are inspired and energized by this. For some of you, this is brand new material. For some of us, it's review, but I I get so energized and excited by this topic because I see how personal how perfect God's work is. So last week, we talked about the source of spiritual gifts, which is the Holy Spirit, God himself. Gifts comes from from the word charisma, right? And so let's not forget these are spiritual gifts. These are not things that we generate of ourselves nor are they talents and skills. God has also given us those. But spiritual gifts are something altogether different. The destination, what are spiritual gifts to be directed toward? Toward all true believers, right? Uh, As each one has received a a special gift, it says in 1 Peter 4.10, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And then the purpose is building up, building up one another that God may be glorified. Right? I think we talked a little bit last week that our gifts aren't there to impress people, but to impact people. You know, Jesus was really clear with the Pharisees that if we do our good works to be seen by others, we lose our reward, and that does not please him. So thinking about this from the perspective of the one who gives gifts and the one who sees all things is incredibly energizing and exciting for us. So I hope, I hope the Lord works in us in such a way uh, and deepens that in us today. So, the primary passages on spiritual gifts that we emphasized last week are Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4. Really, two lists, and then something a bit about how those gifts are to be, how we are to be unified in those gifts, and how uh, they are to be operated. You know, I like to think of of the body and, and the spiritual gifts kind of like an orchestra. Do we have any music people here? Any people who play instruments? Yeah, and so you know the importance of a conductor, right? You, you know the importance of a score, right, of all being on the same sheet of music, right? We know what it's like when it's not that way. And so that's a beautiful thing, I think, to think about when um, when we think about spiritual gifts, that God is the head. He's the conductor. He's not only orchestrating all of it, but he's given us all the gifts. You know, yesterday um, I was at a Veterans Day um, celebration that Jackson's uh, marching band was part of, and I was just marveling, I love brass, I'm a trombone player. And I just so at the end they played taps with just the trumpet player, but then the whole brass section filled in with some harmony. And it was just magnificent. When you think about how those things work together, no individual person can produce that. Right? And the body is the same way. None of none of us has all of the spiritual gifts, but God has so composed the body in a beautiful way. That there's harmony and there's growth. So let's continue to explore that together. So, uh, the lists of the gifts, right? And so we're, so we're going to talk a little bit more today about temporary and permanent gifts and what distinguishes those. So our first list is what we call temporary, or what I call foundational gifts, because they were foundational to the um, the establishment of the early church and. The creation of the canon of Scripture, right? So these were foundational for that. So you had miracles, healing, and tongues, and interpretation of tongues. Now, tongues—I think I mentioned last week—is an unfortunate translation of the word. It really means languages. So this idea that we have in the modern, in our modern society, of ecstatic utterances that don't mean anything—that's utterly unknown to the Scriptures. That's not what tongues is. And so, that's one of the things that we want to really look for as we discern what's going on around us. Do we understand the definitions of these gifts, and are these definitions and guidelines and commands being applied properly? I think we find that in some ways, if you've if you if you've listened to the, the MacArthur sermon that I recommended, or watched the movie Cessationist, you see how in modern times people have tried to change those to non-biblical definitions, and it's led to a lot of confusion. So what I call the permanent gifts or the edifying gifts, right, that are clearly, you know, without question edifying, are these. Prophecy, which we'll discover is not telling the future, but forth telling the truth of God's word, right? Teaching, which is closely related to that. Faith, wisdom, knowledge, discernment, mercy, exhortation, giving, giving, leadership, helps, and service. You know, it's almost tempted to categorize these as the kind of the more visible and the more background gifts. But I think we've established from 1 Corinthians 12 and other passages that just because some gifts are more visible doesn't mean they're more valuable. We want to be really, really clear about that. And, and I think we'll discover why that is as we continue today. So let's get into what the temporary or foundational gifts are. First is miracles, right? A miracle is, and so what I've done here is, so uh, in your book, if you're on pages 74 and 75, there's some definitions there. Some of the def- definitions that I've given are, are kind of modifications or, or amplifications of that. Um, that's not to say there's anything wrong with these definitions. I'll be honest with you, This is, this has been a topic of study and teaching for me for a long time. I've spent a lot of time looking into this, and every time I look at it, it's really fresh and wonderful. I just marvel, I marvel at God's design for the church, and, and I hope you do as well. So, miracle, miracles are the ability to do wonders and signs. Uh, miracle is an act outside of the laws of nature, right? And one of the things to think about is that when you see a miracle, you know it. I know that sounds obvious, right? But think about that with regard to some of the things you might see in public today, right? Someone. Pre- Someone claims to have a miracle, but is it obviously a miracle? Think about how they were in the, in the New Testament. When Jesus healed someone, it was obvious they were healed. So says if someone's blind from birth, walks around, and the parents are like, he's never seen before. He's never walked before. Right? These things are obvious. And so we see these kinds of miracles in the Old and New Testament. Healing, right? It kind of overlaps a bit here. It's the ability to call on God and have him heal the sick by supernatural means. Now keep in mind, I want to make a, a distinction here. We're not saying that God doesn't do these things at times today, right? When we think about healing, we think of the, of the guidance in James chapter 5 and others that if anyone is sick, let him call the elders, have him lay, them lay hands on him and pray, and that person may be healed, right? This happens, right? What we're talking about here is people who have these specific gifts, so when we use the word cessationist, when we talk about temporary and permanent, we're not saying that God doesn't do the miraculous today. Let's be really clear about that. And let's be really clear that salvation is a rising from the dead spiritually. And there's no greater miracle than that. Right? God is doing this every day. Right? That's healing. And then tongues or languages. It's the ability to speak a language unknown to the speaker to communicate the truth to unbelievers. And we see this clearly shown... Uh, At Pentecost, right, where the apostles were speaking tongues, they didn't know. But there were people from all over the world who were able to hear God's word because of that. And by the way, that shows that that's kind of a preview to God translating his word into other languages, which is a huge thing today. Uh, I talked to some of my Muslim friends who, uh, for them to be faithful Muslims, they have to learn Arabic. right? They, They do not consider translations of the Quran to be legitimate right so i can say i've read the quran cuz i've read it in english but they would say that i haven't because i haven't taken the time to learn arabic right god's word and his gospel is broader than that more diverse than that expand it transcends culture and language that's just a beautiful thing and so that the early expression of tongues showed that people understood the gospel and were being saved through the use of these languages at that time So let's think about... When we think about the miraculous... Oh, I'm sorry, one more. Interpretation. The ability to translate the language for the benefit of the body, right? Um, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 14 about what good is it if it's not understood by someone, right? And we'll get into that a little bit more. And so um, we see that the, the tongues had a purpose, and that was to communicate the Word of God. I'll get ahead of myself a little bit by saying... All of these things were not ends in themselves, but signs to point people to God and His Word. Right? Where we get our greatest delight. We're not the see- Jesus. I think was really clear about this. You came to me because you seek signs. You don't seek the truth. And so this is something that we have to think about in our own lives. Right? We may not necessarily consider ourselves charismatic in the modern sense, but do we seek an experience? Right? An ecstatic experience more than God and His Word. We have to really be careful how we think about that because there is great delight in God's Word. Peter said this in 1 Peter 1. He said, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And, do, and though you do not see Him now but believe in Him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. So I want to challenge us with this that we need to be able to experience and display delight in what god is doing even if it's not these specific miraculous things does that make sense okay all right so how common were miraculous gifts in biblical history this was very eye opening for me when i first started to look at it bear with me here i'm having technical difficulties I was surprised to learn how uncommon they were. And this might surprise you as well. These were the times where the miraculous were seen in biblical history. In the times of Moses and Joshua, right? you have those years approximate, 1445 to 1385 B.C. Elijah and Elisha, a little bit later, 1870 to 795 B.C. And then Jesus and the apostles, A.D. 30 to 100. Right? These were the only times in biblical history, that the miraculous was seen. And, and I think if we don't think about it, I know my perception, my impression was that, oh, well, miracles were just a common thing in biblical history. And it turns out when you really study it, that's not the case. And there's a particular purpose here in each, in each case. So out of approximately 4,000 years of biblical history, miraculous signs were occurring in less than 200 of those. That might surprise you. I know it surprised me. Was God less active in those other 3,800 years? Anyone want to take a stab at that? Was God just, of course not, right? What was he doing? What was God doing when the miraculous wasn't there? Working in his people, right? He gave them his word, right? He gave them the, the, the law and the prophets, right? right? And then the prophets were... Um, we're still preaching it and, and taking, taking God's word and giving it to the people. So the question was, were they listening? or were they faithful to it? Right. I think that, and we'll get into this a little bit, the sufficiency of God's revealed word, which was clearly enough. God never leaves us without what we need to seek him. It has always been, even as scripture progressed throughout history as it was being developed, God always gave his people what they needed. And he always gives us what we need today. So... Let's rejoice in that. A couple things to think about here. We always remind ourselves what the purpose of the gifts is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of uh, harp on this a little bit, right? It is the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Who gets the glory? Who gets the attention in that scenario? It's Him, right? Whether it's someone up front like me, Teaching or pastor as he gives a sermon later and all that, what do you come away thinking about? Right? If it's if it's exercised properly, we come away much more impressed with God and his work than the instrument that he uses. Right? So, so important that that be our attention. You know, I I think of so many places where I've been where people say, Well, this person is so skilled, this person is so eloquent. Okay, what about their character? Right? What are they like? When well, no one's watching, right? How are they serving? I'm going to send the sli- I see you guys taking pictures of the slides. That's great. I'll send them out later. So just, you know, I want to relieve you of that. So, And then Ephesians 4:15 through 16, right? Um, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself. In love. Now, why do I put this in here uh, in a section on distinguishing temporary and permanent gifts? It's because we're looking at the motivation and the source, right, which is Christ Himself and what He has provided. And we're gonna we're gonna focus on the proper working of each individual part. Now, part of what I want to emphasize here is that I hear sometimes people express sentiments like they'll see something that's a non-biblical, I think clearly non-biblical, but claim to be Christian expression, right? And they say, "Well, well, God can use anything. Who's to say God can't use that? drives me crazy because affirmation of what God says he does use is much more important than speculation of what he can use, right? I think we have enough to go on about what God says he will do rather than us speculate on, frankly, nonsense, and to be distracted, right? God has given us, us enough to go on. And one of the things to think about as well is how unifying are the expression of the gifts, right? That is a fruit of the gifts, if it's from the Spirit. A couple other thoughts on this. Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing... One another, right? Um, this is why we're here today. This is why we meet in smaller groups. Our our following the conductor, our Lord, in our individual time in the Word, is vital to us working together and sharing those things with one another. i said this before. I've said it directly to you, Mike, and our small group and other folks. I need you to walk with God this week. I need you to be in the Word of God this week because God's going to give you something that I'm going to need to hear. and and, and vice versa, right? So that's that's how the body works. And then simply, just a very familiar verse to us, to many of us, and we really think about how this works, right? All scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped, having been thoroughly equipped for every good work. And what the Word does in us is what we are to do with one another, right? The Word, right, it teaches, reproves, corrects, and trains us. And that's what we bring to one another. You notice two of those are positive, if you will, kind of, right, teaching, training, but in between, there's reproof and correction, right? That's a regular part of our diet in the Word. That's a regular part of our interaction with one another. And I think a couple weeks ago, Glenda, you kind of led us on a journey of talking about what that looks like. Stimulating one another to love and good deeds means sometimes having very real and very difficult conversations, right? Um, if there's sin in my life that needs to be approved, I need my brothers and sisters to help me with that, right? And you do too. All right. Just one other thought on the sufficiency of Scripture. And that's really, I think, what the main issue is when we look at temporary and permanent gifts. Um So then you are no longer strangers and sojourners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being joined together is growing into a holy sanctuary in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit." John MacArthur says this, the foundation of the apostles and prophets refers to the divine revelation that they taught, which in its written form is in the New Testament, is the New Testament, right? So that's a foundation for us. Once you build a building, you don't keep building the foundation, you build on the foundation, right? So the foundation is the, the fixed revelation of the New Testament that God's given us through the apostles and the prophets, Um I have more to say about that, but we'll we'll wait on that. So let's think about how how the the miraculous and the scripture intersect, right? So we're going to talk about three sources of the scripture. The first is prophets, and we go all the way back to the Old Testament. Uh, For those of you who are with us in Exodus in Iron Man, you've seen this, right? Moses told Aaron all the words. Of Yahweh with which he had sent him and all the signs that he had commanded him to do he then did the signs in the sight of the people so the people believed Right? the sign was there to confirm and validate that the message was true right? that was its purpose the sign went away the revelation which we have remained. remained second source of scripture Jesus himself right Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe me, believe the works that I do in my Father's name. These bear witness of me. Right? And you see this throughout the miraculous as Jesus heals people. No one could do the signs that he did unless God was with him. Right? There was no question when a miracle occurred that it had occurred. It was undeniable. In Acts, it says, uh, I think it's Peter says this, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God did through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. He's talking to people who saw, who were eyewitnesses to these things, right? Attested as being from God by the miracles that he did, right? There were a lot of false messiahs at that time. None of them could do the things that Jesus did and then thirdly third source of scripture here is the apostles right there's a lot that could be said here but I think this verse sums it up probably better than any 2nd Corinthians 12:12, 12, 12, the signs of a true apostle were worked out among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles right how were people at that day to distinguish between what was true and what was false Right? If you had two self-proclaimed prophets or apostles that were saying different things, which one would you believe? You'd believe the one attested to by signs and wonders that God was doing through them. This was God's means of affirming the message. right? And isn't it interesting as we think about Jesus and the apostles that people would continually come to him because they wanted to see signs. They wanted to be entertained. And even Jesus and the apostles, though they did those things, directed their attention away from those things toward the truth of God's word. That's what the signs were for. How we I think God knows how easily we get distracted. You know? Especially in this culture, there's so many things to, to entertain us, right? Uh, God would direct our attention to something that might seem more might seem more boring, but is actually better. So praise the Lord for that. Lela. Yeah, great point. Uh, I hadn't given that much thought. I'd have to study that. The word perseverance there. I think it, at least we want to say there's a consistency, right? That um, he who perseveres to the end will be saved. And the fact that the, the apostles did persevere to their to their martyrdom probably is really good evidence of that. I hadn't really thought about that, Leela. That is a great point. Yeah, yeah. And we see in Jude and, and First and Second Peter contrasting with the false teachers who were really about themselves and their own pleasures and their own glory. A vast difference, right? Um, you can look through um, in Acts and 1 and Second Corinthians some of the things that the apostles went through, right, um, for the sake of the gospel. Yeah, and false teachers generally don't make sacrifices. Uh, yeah, that's, that's great evidence. Thank you for that. Thank you for that, Leela. Okay. And then I want to just point your attention to, and I think I've alluded to this, to to the limits of the miraculous. Turn with me, if you will, to Luke um, 16. And this is a a parable that Jesus taught. And uh, it's so important for us to recognize the truth of this. And Jesus gave a parable, and I'll just pick up a couple verses from it. it. It begins actually in verse 19. Uh, the rich man and Lazarus. And so the idea is that someone had died and um, and were suffering, right, in, in, in eternal torment. And they said, somebody send someone, please go back and warn, warn my family to avoid this place. Right, and it ends with, um, well, in verse 30, but he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, and this is the verse on your screen, right, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. This was not theoretical, right? You realize this actually happened. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. People saw that. Some believed. The authorities said, well, now we need to kill him. Right? This is what I call the limits of apologetics. Right? People say, um, "Well, if God showed up and spoke to me, you know, I'd believe." Well, you realize that actually happened, right? And people did it. right? This speaks to us of the sufficiency of God's word. If they don't believe what God has already revealed, even if a miracle happens, they won't believe. That's real, Mike. And there you go. Exactly. Are you reading my notes? That's next to my notes. <laughs> Jesus rose from the dead and still people didn't believe. Yeah. Right that that's that's really worth thinking about. Yeah. Yeah, the risen Jesus. So, I think that I think that we need to think about that when we think about evangelism. Right? How how dependent on we, we are for God to give the effectual call for someone to be risen from the dead spiritually, you can give the best gospel presentation. Perf- you know, you can do it perfectly. Jesus did it perfectly. It's worth thinking about, right? And so we trust in Him to work through His Spirit uh, as He reveals the Word to people. One more thought on this. I'm, I'm emphasizing this. I'm spending a little bit more time on this because it's really important and I think is at the crux of how we understand. Temporary uh, versus permanent gifts. This is Peter saying, as an eyewitness, he said this: For we did not make known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, following cleverly devised myths, but being eyewitnesses of his Majesty. But, yeah, but being eyewitnesses of his Majesty, for when he received honor and glory from God and the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory: This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, and we ourselves Heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. This refers to the transfiguration when Peter, James, and John were there, right? And Moses and Elijah showed up with God. Rich. Something else struck me that I read a while back was because of the eyewitness that they all had of him. That should be a testament to everybody who reads their words. They yeah. Yeah. For what they do to be the truth. They yeah. Do not willingly die for a lie. That's, That's right. Yeah, people do not die for a lie, right? And this goes with along with what you were saying, Leela, right? This is strong evidence, right? And and they were very clear. We are not making this up, right? And I'll just say this about the scriptures. So much in the scriptures does not make the people who wrote the scriptures look good, right? If you were going to make something up, I I don't think you'd write it like that. I think you'd make yourself look a little bit better. Peter, I think he'd make himself look better. Right? It's evidence, I think, that it's true. Let's continue. And, and we have as more sure the prophetic word, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes by one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by the will of man, but men being moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. There's a lot we can say on this. Uh, Pastor Bobby preached on this not that long ago from 2 Peter. What we have in the Word of God, might be hard for you to believe, is better than if we were there face-to-face with Jesus on earth. Better. It's more sure. It's more certain. Right? Do you believe that? I struggle to believe that sometimes. And there's a delight that we can have in the Word of God that is even greater than... Than what those who saw Jesus had. Why? Because Jesus said, It is better that I go away. He said this The Holy Spirit, I will be with you and will be in you. Right? The Holy Spirit in us, illuminating God's written word to us, is better than if the human Jesus were standing in front of us now. I think that's what this passage is saying. People have really, I've had some very contentious conversations about this. It's more sure. Glenda. Okay, and I'm talking about Peter. To you know that we have God's word, Peter said, We saw him. You did. But right. we are blessed because we didn't see him and we love him. You know, so by reading God's word, Peter's telling us, We saw Jesus, we saw everything that he did. But you are blessed because you didn't see him, but you believe the word. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah, we didn't see him. Yeah. 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 Blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. Jesus said, "We're we're blessed." And that you, you quoted from that, that First Peter verse that I mentioned. We we love him and we rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Right? Let's in, let's let's do that. Let's experience that as the Holy Spirit impresses His word our hearts. Okay, let's get into it. We've got a lot to cover. Um, The priority of the spiritual gifts. I think this is really important to think about um, as Paul wrote it, right? 1 Corinthians 12, 28, God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. Right? Teachings at the top, tongues are at the bottom. Just noticing that. Right? It's not a huge emphasis. We'll talk more about that here. Right, It says in, in, in 1 Corinthians 14, Pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Right, Think about the purpose of the spiritual gifts. If it's to edify the church, of what value is a tongue? Right? We'll talk a little bit more as we unfold this. But one who prophesies edifies the church. However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also, that rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. right? So I want to be careful here to say that all gifts as God has given them in their time are equally valuable, right? but some are more profitable to the body than others. I think we just have to acknowledge that. Does that make sense? That might seem like a little bit of a contradiction. I think as we walk through here, um, that will make more sense. Ah, sorry, there's the slide. Okay, so we're just going to walk through fairly quickly the definitions of the 12 permanent edifying gifts. Okay. Um, and by the way, how many of you have been through the membership class? Okay, so if you have, you know, there's a, a spiritual gifts questionnaire that I hope that you've gone through, um, and if you have, these weeks would be a good time to review that, right? Um, but for those of you who haven't, I have copies here, and I'm going to be sending sending them out in email so that you can you can walk through that. So first one is prophecy, right? Prophecy is the ability to preach, tell forth, or declare Scripture. It is telling more than it is foretelling. Right, the future beyond the ability to teach, it all it often comes with the willingness to confront when needed. Not everybody has that has that orientation. Right, teaching teaching is the ability to teach the word of God and help the hearers to understand the scriptures as He intended. The result is clarity, relevance, and usefulness to the hearers. When I think of this, I think about uh, Pastor Norm Swenson, who was the first pastor that I Uh, experienced as a child he led my my parents to Christ and uh, he honestly wasn't really a very good teacher if if clarity is a measure he really wasn't that good right? and I remember sitting there as a kid thinking well I'm not understanding it maybe it's just because I'm a kid as I got older I realized there was more to it than that Um, in his case um, I think he was such an outstanding shepherd and discipler that I would say it almost didn't matter uh, but sometimes he just struggled with the clarity piece, right? And that happens. Faith. Faith is a consistent, enabling trust in God for His purposes in the face of faith in the face of overwhelming obstacles and human impossibilities, and for great things. It is primarily expressed in prayer. So I'll just say, my wife Betty has the gift of faith. There's no question about it. That I, I that I clearly. Don't have. I shared with the man in Iron Man. Um, we were talking about Moses and Moses, how he was uh, resisting. God wanted to use him. And, uh, and God said, No, you know, I'm, I'm, I will be with you. Um, Betty said to me more than once, and pretty recently, She said, Why do you act, Mark, why do you act as if it all depends on you? I don't know. <laughs> Guilty is charged, right? Uh, I am weak. In faith, and God has given me a helpmate who is strong in faith. So I'm profoundly thankful for Betty. Next, wisdom wisdom is spiritual insight, discernment, and ability to discern applicable principles from God's Word for complex situations. Knowledge is related, it's understanding the facts of Scripture, often seen through scholarship, or the ability to know the Scriptures both broadly and deeply. Making effective use of this knowledge in diverse areas, right? Knowing how to apply it, and then uh, discernment. I think is related. These are all kind of related, right? Discernment is the ability. I'm I'm behind here. Discernment is the ability to tell which things are from the Holy Spirit and which are not. First John chapter four talks about that. How we how we test the spirits, right? Some people have an uncanny ability to discern. Spiritual warfare, if you know what I mean, if there are maybe demonic forces impacting a situation, things like that. That's a that's a level of discernment that I frankly don't have, uh, but I'm thankful that that some people do. Really helpful, really helpful. Okay, we keep going. Mercy, mercy is the ability to perceive and show deep compassion to those who have spiritual, physical, or emotional needs. Um, I'll just say this. I've seen people exercise this, and um, I think when you see someone operate in their gifts, there's a sense of marvel. Like, I look at it, I remember um, being on a deacon board years ago, and we had a lot of people coming to us with various needs, and I felt lost to know how to really meet those needs. But we had a couple people who just really had particular wisdom to know what to do. And I just marveled at it. It's like, how do you do that? It was almost like magic, right? But it was a spiritual gift. We see there's a there's um, as as one um, as I've heard one person say that we are intuitive in the area of our strengths or an area of our gifting, right? It might seem like nothing to us, but it's an evidence of God's gifting to us. Exhortation. Exhortation is the ability to comfort, encourage, confront, and instruct toward deeper spiritual commitment to growth. This is a qualifier for counseling ministry, right? Sometimes a good counselor, and Dave, you know this as a certified counselor, sometimes it's important to make people feel bad before they feel worse, right? Because you're calling people to repentance. And and I I know having received strong biblical counseling, I felt a lot worse before I felt, felt better. And that was necessary, right? Yeah. Giving. Giving is the ability to perceive pressing needs and the material ministry of giving resources in response to those needs in the church. And by the way, what we need and what we want sometimes aren't the same thing. So there's a level of discernment that's, that's needed there. Okay, just a few more. Leadership, sometimes it's, it's uh, noted as administration, right? It's the ability to oversee or shepherd the flock of God's people. It's a qualifier for pastors, elders, and leaders of other ministries. It involves motivating others to do God's work while coordinating their efforts and overseeing the big picture. We see that in leadership. It's a leadership by example and also by direction. right? As a a flock, we need specific direction sometimes. Leaders provide that. Helps. Helps is the ability to aid in time of need or bear the burdens of others, helping them to complete the task God has given them. And then service is the ability to work for the body of Christ in areas of physical ministry, serving food, facility maintenance, for example, right? So it's interesting when you, when you see all these gifts, you, if, if, if a person has these gifts, they kind of see things that others don't see, right? They have a perception of things that God has equipped them to both see and to meet that need. That is how the gifts work. So here is the full list. Just take a minute to look at that. Which of these Resonate with you. Which do you think that you have or have a desire to express? Right. And I want to encourage us to think, maybe just write, if you haven't, actually I think on page, if you have the workbook, uh, on page 77, um, it talks a little bit about areas you would be willing to serve. But just take a minute here as, as, we, as we proceed to think about, maybe write down those that you want to explore further that you think you might have, if you don't already know your gifts. Steve? Don't we all have these, but people who are gifted take it to the next level? Are you looking at my notes? I don't know how you were able to see this. There you go. It's, it's the Lord working. Yeah. So, for example, um, some would say um, evangelism is a gift, right? I know it's not in this list, right? We're all called to evangelize, right? Um, But yet some people just, wow, they could do it in ways that, and they bear fruit in in that way. That's unusual. Mercy, are we all to show mercy? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Are we all to help, to serve, to give, to exhort? A lot of these things? Yeah, yeah. And I I would say that all of us even are to teach one another, if I've read Colossians 3 correctly, right? We let the word of Christ richly dwell in us. We teach and admonish one another, whether we have the gift of teaching or not. That's what we do. Chris. Yeah, prophecy. If, um, and I probably didn't spend enough time. Um, uh, I'll actually go back. Actually, I'll just read it from my notes. It is. It is really. Um, your question again. What? What about prophecy? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Prophet. Yeah. Prophecy is the foretelling of existing truth, not the foretelling of new truth. Right. So I think that's one where I think we could maybe say. It it was both a permanent gift and both a um, temporary gift, right, through through prophesying new revelation, the word of God, right? Uh, We saw that in how the scripture was given to to us, the prophets, Jesus, and the apostles, right? But today how it's expressed is foretelling what's already been revealed. Does that make sense? Yeah. So so it's a bit of a hybrid, right? It, it It was active in a different way. Up until the apostolic age, but it's still active in a new way with the revelation that's already been given. So it's not foretelling the future, but foretelling the existing truth. Make sense? Glenda? How do we know when we are operating and we keep that thought as given? How do we know when we are operating? Hold that thought, because we're going to get there. Okay. Hopefully. All right. So the exercise. of spiritual gifts. Turn with me to Romans 12. Really helpful for us to, to look at how the gifts are to be exercised. And this is universal to all of them. And I'll, I'll actually back up to verses 1 and 2. I'm just going to go ahead and read this and I'm going to put some, pick up some things from the slides as we go. Therefore, I exhort your brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies <clears throat> as a sacrifice, living, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may approve what the will of God is, that which is good and pleasing and perfect. For through the grace of given to me I say to each one among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought so we do it with humility right but to think so as to have sound thinking as God has allotted to each a measure of faith for just as we have many members in one body and all members do not have the same function right so the next thing is with appreciating the diversity being grateful for the diversity of the gifts don't be jealous of other people's gifts right Sometimes I, remember I said that spiritual gifts are like our DNA. We're made a certain way, right? And as God said to Moses, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him dumb or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? I've made you in a certain way for a certain purpose. We need to be thankful for it, right? And not be jealous of others' spiritual gifts, right? Because we are to maintain a posture of humility and not exalting ourselves, right? So we who are many. Are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, right? So we should display unity in the exercise of our spiritual gifts. But having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, whether prophecy in agreement with faith, right? So we do it with mutual commitment, right? Commitment and um, consistency with the gift that we have been given, right? In serv- or service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, right? Or he who exhorts with his exhortation, or he who gives with generosity, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness, right? So we're, we're applying specific wisdom in the areas where we are gifted, right? Operate within your gifts. Stay in your lane, I guess, would be a good way to put it. Paul even talked about this with regard to gospel ministry. We did, not, we did not seek to be in the sphere of another. God has given to each a sphere to work in. We talked in 1 Corinthians 12 of gifts, ministries, and effects. Right? All of us have a unique combination of those things that is just for us that no one else can fulfill. And so important for us to be humble and content in that. The primacy of love. 1 Corinthians 13, let all that you do, Paul said, be done in love. Very familiar passage, um, often read at weddings. This will really, uh, I read this passage and it really, really humbles, really humbles. So, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. What is the valuable? What is the value of giftedness without love? It's utterly worthless. Right? Think about what the gifts are. They are gifts of grace to us. They are an expression of God's love. So if we're not loving in them, we have completely missed the point. Right? This is a great reminder us, right? So he's saying here, even if I have all the gifts, essentially is what he's saying, but don't have love. It's meaningless, right? So how are we to be? My, the things that love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Does not brag. Is not puffed up. Does not act unbecomingly. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And so, what it, love is patient, love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love is not puffed up. Love is not provoked. Love does not brag. It doesn't act unbecomingly. It doesn't seek its own. It doesn't withhold forgiveness. That's huge. It doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness. But what does it do? rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I hope you see kind of the spiritual, um, the fruit of the Spirit kind of reflected here. I see that here. And it can be discouraging. You know, we we, we match up our life with, uh, with this, and we can be discouraged. And so we, we ask God to build a heart of love into us. Mike. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So, as we wrap up, so as it ended, love never fails. Love love never fails. Let all that you do be done in love, Paul said. Um, Very convicting. What's my motivation? right? Again, am I trying to impress or impact? Right? We do not... Preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord, Paul said, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. Okay, so the value of the gifts. Um, talked about this a little bit earlier. Um, Many members, but one body, right? Um, Let me just read this. But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, how much more is, is it that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary? And those members of the body which we think as less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no such need. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacks so that there may be no division in the body. But that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. We notice there's no division, right? There's mutual care. And there's equal value. We intentionally honor those who would seem less honorable. We give exposure and encouragement to those who are maybe behind the scenes, right? This is the opposite of what we see in the world. In the world, the world says the leaders are superior to followers, and followers are inferior to leaders. Jesus said it, it shall not be this way among you. Right? We give more honor to those who are lower, because Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. So we intentionally seek to honor those who don't, who would not naturally get as much honor, Right, and encourage them. Right? This is, I know there's a lot of talk these days about how we exercise justice, social justice, all that. Right? This is the real thing. Right? This, is, this is not just optics or making something look a certain way. This is how we are to operate as a body. And it's just beautiful. It's beautiful. Right? So no one should feel inferior in the body of Christ. Just to be a part of it, I think as I said last week, is an amazing thing that we get to even be in the body of Christ and serve in some way is incredible. And so, but for those who have more visible gifts, we want to work harder, right? To encourage those who may be behind the scenes and may be discouraged and find themselves, think of themselves as less valuable. So a couple thoughts here. Um, I won't spend a lot of time here, but I've referred to gifts as your spiritual DNA. And that's an important thing to think about, right? Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. You've been gifted in a certain way for certain things that only you can do. I hope that excites you, right? Um, Ephesians 4.24 talks about the new self has been created in us in the image of Christ. And Colossians 3.10 says that it is being renewed. So this image that God's created in us it has been created and is being renewed day by day. And this, as we cultivate our spiritual gifts and work them out, I think this is how it's being renewed and how it's being expressed. So I was just challenge you with the question, how are you submitting to the Spirit's work? Right? Are you acknowledging that God, God has gifted you in a certain way, that he's gifted no one else? You are needed. If you are in Christ, you are needed in the body. If you don't exercise your gifts, we're, we're going to miss something. I hope that excites you and conv- and convicts you, right? Uh, we are all equally valuable in His body. So, are you submitting to that? Uh, I think I mentioned last week. Um, I just give a, a quick word of, of personal testimony. I uh, I had to be told um, about uh, spiritual gifts. One in particular. Um, uh, 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 a um, assistant pastor who was um, doing the Sunday school class said I, Mark I, I see something of the spiritual gift of teaching in you I want to I cultivate that and I, I said I, I think you got the wrong number here um, I, don't, I don't think so but he really pushed me and gave me opportunities um, and it, it was not pretty <laughs> at the beginning I remember one time I, I preached I ran out of things to say that's hard for some of you to believe who know me I gave a lesson on Joel, the minor prophet, and I, 20 minutes when I was done. And I looked at Pastor Paul, and I'm like, "Brother, bail me out, man. I'm just not. I, I got nothing." So these things happen. So um, I think, you know, in our gifts, we need to be. Sometimes we need to be told. Sometimes we need to be encouraged and 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 brought along. And so that's part of what we do. Part of what we do for one another. And I'll, I'll emphasize something we've emphasized every week in Ephesians 4. Um, what does this mean, right? According to the proper, properly measured working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. What is your individual part in the body, right? When we started talking about this, we recognized that the body, the church, is an organism. It's a living organism. It's not an organization, right? We don't structure it uh, with business principles. Not that there's not wisdom there, but as I've said before. I think the church has a lot more to show the world than the world has to show the church in terms of leadership, right? Not always apparent. Okay, a couple more. By way of application, and I really encourage you to spend some time in this over the next week, right? And I've already asked the first question, right? Ephesians 4.16, what is the proper working of each individual part for you? What is your part in the body, right? If we think about a physical body, if one part's not working, it's dead. It affects the whole body, right? You stub your toe, it affects the whole body, right? Um, and if cells are not following the head and they're going rogue, right, medically, that's cancer, right? That's damaging. So we need to really think about that uh, in terms of doing our part, right? First Peter 4.10, right? As each one has received a special gift employ it in serving one another in um what is the next step? Employ in serving one another as. This happens sometimes. Somebody want to help me there? As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Thank you. Um, what is your next step? Right? Have you taken the time to know your spiritual gift or gifts and to employ it in serving one another? Right? Um, this is your responsibility as a believer. Um, at a church plant, i I was part of the pastor would often say, "Nobody rides the bench. Nobody sits on the bench here. Nobody rides the bench here. right? We're all serving. Right? So here's some just some thought. This is from your workbook, right? Some some practical tips on that. Look for open doors and pray for opportunities to serve. right I think I think pastor Bobby and and the elders and the deacons would say, there is more work to be done than there are people serving, right? Some of you might have heard of the Pareto principle. 20% of people do 80% of the work, right? Ought not be that way in the church, right? That's not a principle that we apply here. But oftentimes it, it, it seems to to, uh, to be the case. Seek the counsel and confirmation of other believers, right? So important that um, if we think we have a gift, try to exercise it with the counsel, walking with other believers, right? Um, some people may may think they have a gift that they don't. It might be something else that they don't see. We need one another to help see it. I certainly did, and still do. Right? That, that I, my natural temperament and my spiritual gifts are kind of like the opposite. They don't. They really don't go together. What's really interesting about that is like so. For example, this might surprise you. I am not an extrovert. I'm an introvert. But with my spiritual gifts, it seems more like I'm an extrovert. But naturally, my temperament, I'm not. So uh, as I thought about that, I thought that was really interesting, uh, uh, an evidence that God was doing something new. Um, And then last question, and this is in your workbook as well, in order to discover your giftedness in the body and in submission to the elders, in what areas would you be willing to serve? So so I'm going to give you a little homework on that. So for those of you who have been through membership and you've gone through the spiritual gifts questionnaire, I have some copies here, um, go through it and review it um, and ask yourself, am I exercising those? Do I need to have some conversations? Ask the leaders um, uh, the, uh, the, the pastors and el- the pastors and elders and, and the, the leaders of various ministries, do you need help? How can I help?? Right? If you haven't gone through membership but haven't taken this, um, I have a few copies here, and I'm, I'll also be sending it out an email so you can have it. Really encourage you to spend some time walking through the questionnaire. It might really be clarifying, and helpful to you as you discern um, your experiences, uh, your interests, um, and you, it might surprise you what spiritual gifts you have. And with that, we are over time. So let me pray for us. Father, uh, once again, uh, as we have these last few weeks, we marvel, we marvel at, your, at the beauty of, the, of your design for your church. Your work in each of us individually, we are your workmanship, craftsmanship, beautifully created for good works. And you've orchestrated this so perfectly in a body that we might be unified, that we might care for one another, we might edify one another. I pray that you would open our eyes to see that and to seek that, Father. And may your power be evidenced in us in a new way here. In Jesus' name, amen.